This is Cat's Podcast, episode number 29. Welcome back, everyone. Very happy to have you here today. I'm Cat, I'm your host. Welcome to my podcast. And I'm honestly super excited to be sharing this episode with you. It's not the typical yoga episode <laughs> I'm sharing here now and then. This is pure motivation and it's uh, from a whole other side of the of the spectrum i would say we're talking about ultra racing today i'm having melissa yuri on my show and she's an ultra endurance athlete she's done the ironman and the epic five which is five ironmans in five days on the five hawaiian islands and she's done the insane uberman race And we're gonna talk about that in the episode, of course. <laughs> to me, Melissa is an embodiment of willpower and mental strength. And I was frankly mind blown when I heard her talking about her 33 kilometer swim in the open Pacific Ocean. Let that sink in, 33 kilometers. Does it sound insane? Yes. Is it impossible? No. So make sure you stay tuned in. It's really a good one, this episode. And it was so much fun recording. So thanks again, Mel. And I hope you guys enjoyed. Have fun. Super happy to have you here today, Mel. When I first heard about you, it was on a Rich Roll podcast and you were talking about your Uberman race. And I thought, what the heck? How can someone swim 33 kilometers in a row, which made it time-wise 12 hours or close to 12 hours? So I guess that was the moment I thought, oh my gosh, I have to have her on my podcast. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thanks for asking and inviting me on. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, that's that's something so honestly out of my mind. Um, and why don't we just um, dive into that race for starters? Because sure. I think a lot of people listening will now say like, what? 33 kilometers? Why? Why would anyone <laughs> do that? <laughs> oh, I get that question a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, just to put things a little bit into perspective um, for the listeners. So we are talking here about a crazy ultra distance triathlon and the, let's say the sprint distance that which usually probably you would do when you're starting off as a beginner, you would do 750 meters of swimming, 20 kilometers of biking and five kilometers run. And then you have the long distance, which is the Ironman most, most popular or most known the Ironman Hawaii. That's the long distance where you would do 3.8 kilometers of swimming, 180 kilometers of biking and um, a marathon distance. So about um, 42.2 kilometers of running. And then we have the Uberman, the crazy race Mel was in. <laughs> and then you go for more than a day. <laughs> exactly. 
how many days all in all was it five or just over five yeah yeah so five days guys and the the mileage or the the distance is 33 kilometers of swimming about 630 kilometers of biking 400 miles of biking and 217 kilometers of running which is about 135 miles so that's what we're talking about here why would anyone do that why would you do that <laughs> so i didn't just wake up one day and think that sounds like a really good idea like this has been a long build up <laughs> um yeah I, i definitely don't like people to think that I'm just this superhuman freak who can roll out of bed and just, you know, rock up and do something like this. Like I've done in triathlon for, was it like 15, 16 years now? And I've started Ironman in 2009. So I've definitely built up a significant resume of endurance racing. And I started doing ultra racing, which is over more than, more than a day in triathlon in 2014. So It's been a long, long progression to get to um, the Uberman race, but I did the Epic Five in 2017, which is five Ironmans in five islands of Hawaii in five days. And I was doing that and, like, that was absolutely incredible. I absolutely loved it. And somewhere along the line around that time, I think it was, I don't exactly know when it was, I found out about this event called Uberman. And it just piqued my interest, mostly because it incorporated two events that I had on my bucket list. So one was the Catalina Channel Swim, which is the swim leg portion. And then the run leg portion is the Badwater Ultramarathon Run. And those are two events that I really wanted to do. And so I thought, well, you know, you've got one event that combines two and it's a triathlon, mm. which I love. You know, that's that's definitely something that, you know, piqued, piqued my interest at the time. And so, just a, sorry, just yeah. uh, jumping in here. It's both in the US. So yes. it's the Uberman is in the US, but also both both um, races you were interested in are basically in the US. Yeah. So just to, um, yeah. Let I've people raced- know in California, right? California, yes, California. and then, yeah. Yes. Yes. I've done a, a couple of big races in Hawaii and yeah, in, in California and Canada and Germany. Like I've, um, I did challenge Roche in um, in Germany, so that was that was really fun. So I've I like to find races in destinations that I want to holiday in as well. <laughs> so <laughs> I do a really a cool race, and then I have, have a fun holiday afterwards. So that's kind of one of my criteria. <laughs> What part of the world do I want to go to <laughs> to also have a holiday? <laughs> that's a good approach. Yes, yes. I And like that's it. about the recovery as well. It's not just <laughs> not just about the race. Um, so yeah, when I when I was looking at Uberman a little bit more seriously, it was after I did Ultraman Hawaii in 2018. And I'd said to my husband, I don't think I'm done yet. I think I want to do this race. I think, you know, um, that's something that I just it just kept niggling away with my brain and I just kept going, oh, you know, it's just it's there, it's an itch I need to scratch. And I had realized that there had been no other women who had attempted to do it solo. Um, there was one who had done it in a team. She did the bike leg um, with a couple of other guys, but there was no no females who had ever lined up to do it. And also that that I found is, you know, a bit of a unique challenge in itself. So, yeah, after 
discussions with my husband and getting, um, you know, really good crew of people around me. And yeah, we just, you know, decided to make it happen. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of the genesis of how, how it all, all came about. Wow. Yeah. I'm still super, super impressed. Um, so you said you were about 15 years into triathlon and ultra distance. Yeah. 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 15 years of doing triathlon and um, I started doing ultras, yeah, probably about five years before okay. that, 2019, I did every man, yes. I love, you know, stressing that fact a little bit because that puts it definitely into perspective. And as you said, you didn't just wake up one morning and said, hey, let's go, let's do this. No, <laughs> so, no. Before um, I started a triathlon, I never ran. I thought running was stupid. I didn't understand people who ran. I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> The first fun run I ever did was a four-kilometer run and there was an eight-kilometer at the same time. And I was watching all those runners going, what are you doing? That is so far. I, I can't even wrap my head around running that far. So, like, <laughs> I, I also like to kind of stress that, you know, this has definitely been a journey over a number of years and a build-up over a number of years. And I know yeah. physically for myself that if I tried to fast-track anything, then I would have got injured and potentially not be able to do any of these races as well. So, yeah, I definitely mm. did take my time to build up to where I am now. Yeah, I, I really love that fact and, and how you say that if you would have, sh like, fast-tracked, you probably would have got injured or maybe there would have happened something mentally, you know, like blockage mm. or thinking, oh, I can't do this and... I feel it's so, so important to stress the fact because today society, at least our Western society is so geared towards like fast success, instant gratification. And I'm a true believer in that, you know, good things take time. And mm -hmm. if you want to really progress and go somewhere, you have to put in the time and the commitment and, It's just a lot of discipline and just showing up every day, every day, every day, every day. And that builds the routine and that builds your endurance and whatever it is that you're, that you're on. Mm. So yeah, take us a great. little, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, because people always ask me, how long did I train for this? And I was like, mm, 10 years. That's when I started <laughs> Ironman. Five years I started ultras, but specifically for the race, probably about six months. But I can't count that as that's my training for the event. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's so good. Um, so take us a little bit further or let's go back a step and take us into your story because I feel that a lot of the listeners will be curious now. Like, how did you start? So you weren't a sporty child, right? If I got that, if I got that right. Yeah, or or I, were you like naturally inclined to doing lots of sports and Not really. So, I mean, like, we were always, as kids, we grew up in the country, so we're always active outside, you know, riding bikes. I was, had a horse that I rode, um, swimming, like, things like that. But it was never anything structured. You know, we played team sports. We played basketball, netball, down, you know, just local competition, you know, nothing nothing serious. Um, so, you know, I, I was active but not like a super sporty kid that, you know, that was what I lived for and, you know, like I had... Yeah, I didn't have a lot of kind of opportunities growing up um, as a kid to pursue that as something that, you know, and I didn't really want to either. So, yeah, it was it was definitely something that came to me later in life. So what 
what happened to getting to triathlon is that I had finished studying, um, I did a nursing degree and I finished studying and I was like, okay, so, you know, I wanted to lose a bit of weight, wanted to get fit and I'd started swimming and bike riding a bit and I went and saw a friend do a triathlon and I just thought that looked so much fun and I just wanted to be part of it. I just wanted to, you know, get in and, and do that. But as I said before, like I'd never run before, so I had to then turn my attention to start running and, you know, actually teach my body how to do this. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, then I could actually line up and do my first triathlon because I saw my friend do a race at the end of the season, so then it gave me all of winter to do a couple of fun runs, you know, learn how to run, learn how to, you know, do a bit more um there was no structure to anything that I did I was just you know exercising at the time but that's that's definitely how I started in triathlon and I did a couple of even shorter distance races than you said as a sprint I did mini distance which is you know a little bit less than half of of that and just really really enjoyed it and I found in the first couple of years, the longer races that I did, I ended up building up to an Olympic distance race, which is a one and a half K swim, 40 K ride, 10 K run. And I was like, oh, that's a lot more fun than the shorter stuff. And <laughs> so <laughs> I know. And then I found out about Ironman and I was like, oh, what's that? That sounds cool. And then, you know, had, had a bit of a look and a bit of a chat about that. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. Like that sounds good. <laughs> so, um, and it just, just kept snowballing from there. And, you know, you mentioned my interview with, um, with Rich Roll. Like I read his book and he introduced me to the world of ultra racing and, you know, what Ultraman is and what Epic Five is and, you know, all this, you know, really crazy, oh, crazy cool. distance races. Yeah. And so then I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think I, I've found my, you know, my niche on what I want to do. But I found out about Ultraman and then lined up for my first one about four years later because I just realised that I needed that extra time because I didn't have enough time to build up all of my, you know, physical endurance and mental endurance that I would have needed to get through an event like that. So I was like, yeah, that is my goal. Let's set it, you know, for four years' time before I lined up to do my first one, which was absolutely incredible and I, I still highly highly rate that race it was still absolutely amazing to do that yeah wow slow progression mm. yeah again you know you're talking in a <clears throat> in a span of years not mm. months so you said okay that's what I want to do and then we're like okay four years ahead that's what I'm that's what I will be doing and <laughs> yeah Yeah, I always plan years ahead anyway, especially with racing. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty normal for me. Hmm, interesting because that's so not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you work with a coach at, uh, at yeah. that time? Probably, yeah. yeah. When, when I decided I wanted to do Ironman, I got myself a coach because I knew that I had no idea what I was doing and didn't, like, I wouldn't even know where to start, basically. So I, I got myself a coach and he said, yeah, absolutely happy to train you up for an Ironman. Let's go do a half first and just see if you enjoy it. And if you do, then we can progress on to Ironman, which I think was a really sensible idea um, because, you know, if I absolutely hated doing a half, then, you know, I was going to waste a bunch of money and then not want to actually put in the time and the commitment. Um, but <laughs> it was absolutely the opposite. I crossed the line and the first words out of my mouth was, that was so much fun, I want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I definitely, definitely really enjoyed my, my racing then. 
I love that. That's mm -hmm. so good. And interesting, you know, how, how some people like you are more drawn to the, to the longer distances and they feel that they really can unfold their potential in there. And then other ones might be more inclined to do the sprint distances. Yeah. I really admire people who are able to push themselves and actually redline for one to two hours doing like short, hard work at just Oh, makes me want to lie down. I'd much rather, you know, go out and do an eight-hour bike ride than try and run hard for an hour and do a 10K or something. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely built for endurance, not speed. That's yeah. so cool. So you much rather do this 12-hour swim instead of half an hour sprint swim. Absolutely. <laughs> If I ever see like sprint or time trial in my plan, I'm like, okay, gotta get myself ready for this. Like this is going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's, let's chat a bit more about that Uberman race. Sure. Um, this is really like doing the impossible. I, <laughs> I'm not sure if you phrased it like that, but it, To me, it seems like, yeah, that, that nails it, doing the impossible. Um, and you also said, that were your words, you wanted to um, achieve my seemingly insane but incredible dream. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a bit more about the race and especially about the swim. That's what I'm so obsessed about. <laughs> I have been swimming, by the way. I had a few intense swimming years in my teens where I was also on a team and, you know, training three, four times a week, doing races on the weekend. It didn't last long, but maybe that's why I'm so, so inclined to the, to the swimming side of this. <laughs> yeah. So I guess like if you look at the whole event as one big thing, like in terms of the distance and the everything, on paper, like it does look seemingly impossible. It looks, you know, like how are you actually going to be able to do that? So for me, mentally, I just like break it way, way down as, as small as I need to. So when I was, you know, first actually getting the water to swim, so we the swim starts at nighttime, so you swim through the night to, to the next morning, which I was actually really excited about because I've never swum at nighttime before. And, wow. so and this is open water swimming. That's yes, open water with the sharks, with you know everything around. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest fear there's going to be jellyfish, and there was none, so I was happy. I was I was sweet with that, but. Um, I. My way of dealing with, you know, when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling stressed about things is I look at what is the potential risk in that situation. So if I start thinking about, oh, you know, there's going to be sharks around, then I go, okay, I have a paddler next to me. I have a boat. There's three people on the crew on the boat, plus I had, you know, my crew members there as well. So how many pairs of eyes in total are all looking after me and looking out at the water? that is way more than just me who can only see, you know, like basically right in front of me because it was dark. Mm. Mm. Sorry, in my mind. Just, um, yeah. Sorry. I think that's a really an important point for maybe some listeners are thinking now you're just there alone swimming on your, oh, no. on your own, but you're not. There's, <laughs> no, there's no, no. a boat next to you who's yes. basically guiding you. Yes. And then yes. you have crew members on the boat to yes. feed you. <laughs> I hours. definitely did not do this alone. 
at no part of any ultra race are you ever by yourself without a crew nearby in anything that I do. And I actually avoid doing like solo self-supported races because I just, I love having a crew around me and having that shared experience of the event all together with everybody. I just, I just find that's, yeah, just that shared experience is so much more enriching for me than doing anything solo. Plus they wouldn't allow a swimmer across, you know, 33 kilometres of open water by themselves with no support whatsoever. It's just, you would die. <laughs> Plus you can't navigate <laughs> because all you see is a horizon of lights and that's all. Like you don't actually have a point that you are navigating towards and that's what the boat's for as well. So they navigate for you. No point at all did I actually need to look up and see where I was going. All I had to do was just swim in a straight line, which I'm not very good at swimming in a straight line in open water, so it's really good to have somebody next to me so I can mm. just make sure I, you know, I stay stay parallel to um to where they're pointing me, basically. So, yeah, no, there's there's definitely no part of this that I was I was alone, especially in the open water in the dark at night time. It was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would never happen. <laughs> so yeah, um. I got off the boat and, and started swimming and it was, I think I started at about 10 o'clock at night. And so that was, that was just absolutely incredible. It was absolutely magical. It was a beautiful night. It was really, really calm. The first, uh, I think it was about 20 kilometres, the tide was pushing me along. So my whole race plan from the very start was to try and conserve as much energy as possible until the run. Because in my mind, the race was actually in two halves. The first half was a swim and the bike. The second half was a run because I knew that the least amount of fatigue I could go carrying into the run, the better I would be overall. So that was that was always, always my plan on not pushing anything at all, like just completely staying relaxed, completely staying as aerobic as possible and basically just cruise, um, which I managed to do quite, quite well, actually. I'm, I'm pretty good at managing my energy levels as I'm going, going through something like this, <clears throat> as I've, I've learned over the years to, to how, how to do that. And so in terms of nutrition that, you know, a lot of people are always quite interested in, my paddler was the one who would give me nutrition. So I breathe to both sides when I swim. So I was always able to look over to him and we worked out that at I was feeding every like 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how I was feeling. I would stretch it out a little bit if I was feeling a bit sick and actually not be able to take on much or if I was starting to feel hungry or a bit fatigued or anything that I'd reduce it down to, you know, feed, feed every 20 minutes. And we'd organise that he would put his hand up so it would be an obvious signal that I'd need to then go over to the kayak and get some nutrition from him and that was you know a gel some electrolytes you know something generally liquid calories when I swim generally I don't really like having anything solid because I just you know you're trying to get it and then keep swimming instead of kind of stopping eating chewing like all of that extra time that it takes to mm. be able to um to do that and also the time to then be able to digest solids I'm not as good doing that when I'm when I'm swimming as well so my kayaker would then go over to the boat if he needed to pick up more supplies for my nutrition so he didn't have to carry everything for my 12-hour swim. And then my crew on the boat, then they would pass nutrition back to him and then he'd, you know, communicate with them about how I was going at certain periods of time mm -hmm. as well as, as I went along. 
yeah so it's it's all a big process (laughs) yeah yeah um and which which part was was the hardest for you on that on your on that swim because you said you entered the water at around 10 p.m and then you you swam basically until 10 a.m in the morning Mm. Mm. the hardest part was the last couple of hours so I'd actually met and spoken with a guy who had done a lot of paddling escorts for the Catalina Channel Swim and he'd said to me in the last like two three hours don't look towards the shore and I was like oh okay no worries yeah yeah and of course I did you know (laughs) I'm like oh wow I'm really close now oh you know in my head I was calculating I'm like oh I'm probably like about an hour away you know this would be really good you know check the watch oh like 11 hour swim amazing you know that'll be that'll be fantastic but then the shore just never got any closer and it's one of those like illusions when you're swimming trying to judge distance and even my paddler said the same thing like he's like oh you know you'll probably have two more feeds and then we'll be in and I was like yeah amazing and then you know it was on to like the third fourth feed and I was like um hang on <laughs> what, what's going on here and we both made exactly the same mistake we both thought it was going to be quicker to get into shore as well and mm-hmm. like there at that point I was you know I wasn't really battling a lot of tide it was it was just that part it just looks like it's a lot closer than it is and I was just I was sick of swimming I just wanted to stand up I just wanted to <laughs> to go and lie down <laughs> I was tired <laughs> um we'd already planned we had a, a camper van with us an RV um we'd already planned that I'd have a sleep directly out of the swim before I got on the bike so I was just really looking forward just to be able to get out of the water, get down, you know, lie down and, and have a nap. Um, but, yeah, I found that quite mentally challenging because I just didn't feel like I was making any ground whatsoever. And then suddenly it just felt like I was on the shore. So, yeah, that was that was a very sweet mm. <laughs> Yeah, interesting how that perception of, oh, my gosh, it's so it's close and then you feel it's far, but then all of a sudden you're there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. But I think your yeah. mind is also going kind of off track, of course. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> when you're in the, in the water for 12 hours, which still is super mind boggling for me. <laughs> and then you reach the shore. And then how is it to feel the ground under your feet again? Is it like, wow, or is it super, super strange? Um, it wasn't as bad. I, I thought I was going to be actually more, um, unsteady on my feet, but I was actually pretty, pretty solid. So I was actually quite happy with how, how I was able to get out of the water. I mean, the, the beach that I landed at, at Palos Verdes, there's a lot of big rocks. So you have to be really, really careful because the tide pushes you in. And Mm. if you're not too careful, you can actually get like thrown against the rock. So you have to be quite calculated and how you get out of the water and then I had my crew there and they were you know like helping me get up and helping me walk and things um mm. you know up up the shore and my mm. husband was there with me and I said to him I was like just hang on I've been lying down for 12 hours like you just just take it take it easy and he actually said to me later that he was quite surprised at how cognitive I was like how you know I was able to communicate really clearly and things because he thought I'd be a lot more out of it than what what I was um yeah but again like you know we really made sure that there was no point that we were rushing anything. So I got up there. It's at the bottom of um, 
I don't like, a, you know, these big fancy hotels. So I've got these like really big chairs. So I just went and sat down there for a couple of minutes, you know, had something to drink and then got up and then walked up the path up to the RV, got out of my wetsuit and bathers, you know, put on my, put on other clothes and then jumped into bed and then had a nap for a couple of hours. So yeah, it was all very relaxed and chilled the way that we approached it, which really, really helped because I didn't want to feel stressed or pressured or, mm. or anything because we didn't have... Mm a time cutoff that we were fighting against. I had my own time goals in my mind that I wanted to achieve if possible, but if something went completely pear-shaped, then that wasn't, wasn't going to be an issue. It was all about, you know, just getting through one piece and finishing, finishing the event. Okay. So basically it's, it's the same starting time for everyone more or less, but then you're open with finishing. So you don't have to finish in like five days and 20 hours no. you can just take your time no and there was one guy who um actually finished a couple of days after I um after I'd finished as well so yeah it was it was very much you know you start and then you know finish when you want when you can and you know mm. then, you'll be, then you'll be a finisher so yeah mm. that's why we were very very kind of methodical and a bit more chilled out about how we were approaching yeah it. But you set the swim course record. I did. With that one. I did. Oh, cool. <laughs> <Just> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Better than all the men. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, passed, um, I passed one of the guys in the water and I was quite excited about that, actually. <laughs> so yeah. cool. So cool. Um, I loved what you said about, you know, being relaxed and taking it easy and Because I feel that's something that's so hard for a lot of us, me included, these, like, not these days, but in, in, in general. <sighs> I often feel like being, maybe not being chased, that would be a bit radical, but just being, being pushed, like, oh, I have to do another thing and I have to do this and that and da, da, da. And so it's, um, it's actually interesting to talk about people um, to talk with people about the relax, the relaxation part in things. And I had another episode about a year ago with uh, a freediver. And he said he has to be able to relax completely to be able to do the things he does. So without complete relaxation, he would never be able to go that deep and, and stay underwater for such a long time. And so... Yeah. Seeing the relaxation part is really crucial to <clears throat> be able to doing things like like that. Yeah, yeah, I I kind of see it as just a waste of energy, especially if you're going for mm -hmm. as long as I am. Like, why would you add in that extra pressure if you don't need it as mm. well? So yeah, yeah, we approached it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. So I don't want to um, spend too much time on the Uberman race, but just briefly for the listeners, how did it go on? So after you swim, you had rest, you had to sleep for a couple of hours, and then there was still this huge bike part and the running part in Death Valley. Yes. Basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the bike ended up taking me... Oh, my goodness, I can't remember the amount of time. But, yeah, it was over, um, ended up being a bit over two days um, that it took to do that. So I was riding as much as I could and then I'd stop and, you know, have a sleep. 
um, generally for about my stops were about two, three hours sleeps that I was doing. And then my sleep stops increased as, you know, the, the run um, went on. But yeah, I was, I was definitely towards the end of the bike, well and truly ready to get off <laughs> and finish. <laughs> As I was coming into um to Death Valley, um, I definitely noticed there was a lot of car drivers just staring at me, just going, what are you doing? You are, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't even think they had words to, <laughs> to describe what was going on that they were seeing and perceiving about, you know, just because you don't see anybody exercising out in Death Valley. Like, why would you? Yeah. It's ridiculously hot. <laughs> so, I was yeah. there once like many, many years ago as a teenager. And I remember just my ice cream melting away. Like I couldn't even lick that fast. Yeah. So that's, that's the degree of, of, um, of heat. That's yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's absolutely nothing there, like nothing grows because it's a desert and it's, yeah, it's all just, just, yeah. It's a beautiful place. It's definitely well worth going. Um, I don't think I'll ever go back to run or <laughs> ride again. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the the um the bike was was really good. It was really fun. It was really varied in the course that we did as well. Like there were some really nice long flat sections. There were some beautiful canyons that I rode through. Um, I rode a decent amount at night, so it's kind of one of those things. Like I saw a lot of the course, but then you know some of it I you know wasn't wasn't able to see. And then on the run, like you know anyone who knows the Badwater Run, there's you know three um, quite big climbs in it. And so the first one was the one that I'd come down the previous day on the bike. So I actually knew what I was, what I was in for, but I was really, really happy to get onto that climb and do it at night time. So I didn't have to worry about, you know, battling the heat to be able to do that. And that was always my plan. Like it was kind of best case scenario. If I can run as much, um, you know, through the night morning and then rest kind of around midday in the afternoon when the sun was really intense so that I could get out of the, you know, the heat of the day as much as, as much as possible. But one thing that, um, that I'd heard before, you know, listening to people talking on podcasts about the Bad Water Run was that the desert gets really, really cold at nighttime and that's something that people don't actually necessarily realise or account for when they're doing, um, they're doing the ultra, ultra run. So... So the last, the, well, that section where I was running along into Lone Pine and Lone Pine is the town that is at the base of Mount Whitney. So then you go from there and you climb the, you know, it's roughly about a half marathon distance up to um, the finish line up at Mount Whitney. But that whole section I, I did at nighttime and it was absolutely freezing cold and you know, like when I was when I was doing that, like I was definitely um, a lot more fatigued, a lot more you know down under your reserves. So your body's not able to regulate the temperature as much as it, it normally would. And you know, I was hallucinating. I was you know <laughs> all over the. Oh my place. gosh! Yes, <laughs> you know, just like deprivation over a number of days. I've I've hallucinated before. I um I actually generally find it quite entertaining, quite funny. And whenever I'm on the run, I always make sure I have a crew member with me purely for safety for me, just, you know, if something goes wrong, then I know if there's someone there who can take care of me. And also for company, because I've, you know, swum in the ocean for 12 hours. I've been on my bike for two days and I haven't actually had a lot of human contact outside of, you know, my crew, you know, seeing me, putting me to bed, getting me up, feeding me on the bike, keep going. So it's, it's really nice to be able to spend that extended time with my crew to, you know, just have a chat and get, 
get a feel about what their experience has been like up to that point in mm. time, you know, how they're going and, you know, like hear some funny stories about things that have happened along the way and, and all of those kind of things. <laughs> Sorry if you haven't seen it, but this happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, there's a lot of that. Like, oh, you missed this. It was hilarious. And, you know, this happened, this happened. You know, we couldn't get a hotel, so we just stayed up all night and then we, you know, stayed up the next day and I was like, oh, my goodness, and you're driving. But, yeah, it was, it's all part of the adventure. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and so when I start hallucinating, well, I always say to my crew, I'm like, can you see that? Did you hear that? And then, you know, just check with them because I'm aware that I'm hallucinating, but I also just want to make 100% sure that is what is going on. And, you know, I'll, I'll say to them, I'm like, oh, you know, that mound of dirt just there, that was a house, you know, about 10 metres ago. That was like a big three-bedroom house that I was I was seeing and it's not there anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. It's- well. <laughs> Yes. Interesting things happen when you go long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, maybe the, the sleep deprivation is also playing its part in it. Absolutely. I guess. Yeah. Um, but then you finished. That was another course record. So you smashed the previous course record by 27 hours. Mm, yeah, yeah. So there was one guy who finished before me and then we both broke the course record so that was that was pretty incredible but I still hold the female course record because there's been no other females who have um who have attempted it solo yet so I'm hoping there will be someone and you know if there's someone out there reach out let me know and I'm happy to help as much as I can but at the moment I can still claim that I I hold the record (laughs) that's so good I love that yeah wow so that was October 2019 yes yes correct and it's happening every year that race, right? Yeah, yeah. So there was it was on last year in 2020. Um, mm. There was one guy who did it solo, and then there was a team. Um, they had mm. you know, different leg each um, swim bike run. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, I love the you know the um, shout out to to the woman out there to. Yeah. Um, to oh, go yeah. to go for it and absolutely yeah. I feel that I have a responsibility to be able to support other women in ultra racing like I mm. I have a lot of people contact me you know just asking for advice asking for help asking for assistance and things like that and I'm always happy to help and I'm you know will always answer questions you know that people have like I I want to encourage more people into this sport and into this arena. I don't want to discourage people. So yeah, I'm I'm always happy, always happy to help out anyone who wants to wants to do it. If they want to do men, if they want to do something a lot shorter, it's it's fine. You know, I I don't put any preconceived ideas about you know what people should and shouldn't do. It's about what they're doing, and if they want advice, then I'm happy to give it as much as I can. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Mm. That's great. Being there, sharing your experience and um, <clears throat> and especially what you said about, you know, it's it's women supporting women. I mean, you would also support men, but mm. I think women supporting oh. women, it's, it's still something we should really strengthen and it shouldn't be just like talk. You know, there were these hashtags a few months ago oh, yeah. going around, <laughs> women supporting women, women supporting women. But I think it's about actually doing the work and being there like, like you are so Mm. that's amazing yeah 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 Yeah, absolutely would you say um when it comes to long distance and ultra distance races that 
we as women have an advantage when it comes to performing these longer distances? I, I know in certain sports that women um, definitely outperform men. Um, I think it's like ultra-endurance swimming. Overall, you know, women can, like, do a lot, a lot better when you go a lot, lot longer. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not really one to compare men to women about, you know, mm -hmm. who's doing what. Um, I'm just, I try and be a bit more all-inclusive because it's such a small community. Like, I don't really want to, you know, alienate anyone or, you know, yeah, no, no, anyone. No, no. Or, yeah, no, I, I understand your, your question. But I guess, like, I don't. I don't really see one particular gender as being superior to the other when mm -hmm. you're going longer. I just think, mm -hmm. you know, we are all equally able to do things and, yeah, it's just yeah. it's incredible anyone who wants to line up and, and do something. So, yeah. I love that. And especially, you know, the motivation for the women out there to not be intimidated because previous course records were set by men, but now you're setting this, like, amazing example that, you're basically you can do anything if if you if you want to do it mm. which which brings us to the to the next focus topic of mental strength and motivation because i when i was listening to the to the podcast with you on on rich roll i was like wow that was the second thing after the like hearing about the swim i was like how did you motivate yourself? And you you said at one point, oh, well, you know, when my alarm clock rings, I just get up. I don't think about it. And I was like, wow, how <laughs> can you do that? Because I'm such a snoozer. You know, my alarm clock rings. I put on smooth. It <laughs> rings again. Yeah. I put on snooze again. Yeah. Um, so which which strategies did you use for motivation, but also mental strength? Yes, I put a huge focus on mental strength in all of my training that I do. Um, I, my coach actually says to me, you know, that I'm one of the most mentally tough people that she knows. And I, I just say back to her, I'm like, that's not a coincidence. Like, that's not a mistake. This is something that I really focus on and train as much as I train physically because for me, your mind's a muscle that needs to be trained and honed and focused. And if I don't do that work, then, you know, if I get to a certain point, you know, in a race and I'm starting to say, you know, why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. You know, I don't understand why I'm here. And if I don't have the capacity to be able to deal with those negative thoughts or inner chatter, then the likelihood is then, you know, I might quit. And I know that, for me, the idea of quitting is just, you know, well, it's not really an option. For me, I always say to my crew, <laughs> I'm like, if I need to stop, you will be making that decision for me because I will never make that decision. So if I'm in such a medically compromised point, I won't be able to decide that anyway. So, you know, I put complete faith in them that they will, you know, make the decision for me and make it, you know, knowing that that's the only, only option that I had at that point in time. So for like, you know, my mental training, what I do is I really pay attention if I have a bad training session, which a lot of people just try and forget about it, push it to one side, you know, okay, tomorrow's a new day, let's, you know, continue on. Whereas for me, 
I have a really sense of accountability with my coach who that I put on myself. Like she doesn't, you know, if I, if I skip a session, she's not going to, you know, criticize me or, you know, come down hard on me or anything. I would come down hard on myself. So if I have an eight hour bike ride, I will make sure that my, you know, my Garmin clicks over to eight hours before I stop that ride. And if at six hours I'm saying to myself, I just want to curl up in the car, fall asleep and not wake up. (laughs) I am, I'm absolutely done. I'm absolutely spent. You know, the amount of times I've just been sitting in the gutter, you know, having a can of Coke, just going, please give me something. And so then afterwards I look back at that and I say, okay, what did you do to get through that? How did you do that? How did you keep going? How did you persist? Bank those thoughts, bank those memories, and then use that for when you get to, you know, a point in the race when you're starting to go, oh, this is really hard. This is really tough. And then I can say to myself, well, it was really hard and tough then and you didn't quit. So use that and, you know, like use those memories, use those those things. So I actually find the bad sessions are a lot, a lot more um useful and memorable than any of the good sessions that I've had where it's just felt really easy and really breezy and you know like I've been out of run for three hours and not even think about it so yeah like being able to kind of build up to that point um I I develop you know my my why like a lot of you know people talk about you know why are you doing this and I find that it's always good to have an answer to that question if you do start to you know say well you know why am I here why am I doing this and it might be trivial answers or it might be you know random different things like when I was doing Ultraman Canada is because I bought the bike kit and I said to myself you're not allowed to wear this until you finish the race unless you're an actual finish official finisher and that was enough motivation so it just it varies every single time and you know for Uberman it was because you know well I wanted to be the first female finisher I wanted to you know have this amazing experience I didn't have time pressure but, you know, I, I still obviously wanted to get it done in a certain period of time. But I had all these amazing people on my side helping me out. I was physically strong. I was mentally strong. So why wouldn't I finish? So, you know, you kind of turn it, turn it back around in that way. And when you're asking about motivation, I know that my time is very limited in my training windows. So mm-hmm. I work full time. I can't afford to move a session because I have no other time to move it to. Like my biggest training weeks that I was doing, I was, you know, up around 30 hours. And I basically describe that as trying to juggle two full-time jobs. So if I don't get up and, you know, go for run for 90 minutes, two hours in the morning before work, and, you know, then swim for an hour after work or, you know, whatever, whatever my sessions are, I have no other time to move that to. And for me, if I want to be successful at what I'm doing, I have to do the work because I, you know, what I was saying at the start, like I don't have the natural gifted talent. I have to work hard at what I'm doing to be able to get to, you know, the goals that I want. So I have this internal motivation that's, you know, accountability to my coach, but also knowing that if I don't do the work, I won't be successful. So it's kind of lots and lots of layers <laughs> that get to me mm. to the point where as soon as the alarm goes off, I'm jumping out of bed. And I also develop routines around that. Like I lay out my clothes the night before. I, you know, like as soon as I get up, I get changed into whatever my workout clothes are for that particular session. You know, if I'm training after work, I'll drive straight to the pool. I won't go home first. Or, you know, I won't let myself sit down on the couch because 
then you have to make a decision to stand up and get up. Like I try and take out as many small decisions out of my day as possible Mm. because Mm. when you are at that point when you are so fatigued that all you want to do is sit down, as soon as you do, you then have to decide to get up. So you take out that as an option and then you only sit down on the couch after you've done your session, you know, and that's when you can curl up and go to sleep or, you know, whatever you need to do for that night. So, yeah, that's... Mm. Yeah, multi-different multi answers to that, but that's what works for me. Yeah, and that's that's such a good point, you know, taking out these small decisions that often make you contemplate and just hold you back, just wasting time. And uh, yeah, I, I really like that because this is so easy to implement as well for anyone, not just when you're training for an ultra race, but basically anything, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember laying out my clothes Ah, <clears throat> oh, it's been years since I did that, but it's it definitely is it it's a speed up factor in the morning. You you just know what to grab, that's it. And well, you don't stand in front of your closet for 10 minutes contemplating. Yeah. So um yeah, that's that's a very practical tip. I love that. And also what you said about you know using your most challenging moments from your training for the race kind of processing that, storing it in the back of your mind and then activating it or reactivating it when you're in a real mental challenge in a race saying, oh, well, remember that time I wanted to quit after six hours? I didn't. So what helped me go through this? And I feel this is really like what helps us build up the the strength and the stability for anything we want to achieve. And they they always say, well, you you don't learn from your, you know, the good experiences, but you learn from your failures and the oh. the the things that didn't go as you planned. And it's it's also interesting to see it or to look at it from a yoga perspective. So I'm into yoga, I'm studying um tantric hatha yoga. Mm-hmm. And there it's also, you know, you do your practice, you go onto the mat, not for the sake of being on the mat every day, but to build the stability for situations in your life where you need it, where you need that resilience and that stability and that mental calmness to be able to go through it. So I love the, you know, the 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 image or the how you say the the philosophy that's rippling through through all these different scenarios here. Mm but it's, it's the same thing. Mm. Um, so are there any other motivation tips for listeners? You oh, have? I have so many. Yeah. Like I have all these different little things that come into my mind, depending on the situation. And some of them are really random and like some of them just make me laugh and are just absolutely ridiculous but it helps. So the one that people like really laugh at is when I'm riding and it's a really intense, strong headwind. And you know, that wind that just absolutely crushes your soul because you feel like you're going nowhere in this block headwind and there's no relief to it. And I have no idea where it's come from, but I imagine that if you've seen the movie Forrest Gump, 
when Lieutenant Dan is at the top of the mast during the massive storm and he's sitting there yelling out, you know, is that all you've got, you know, bring it on and just like laughing manically, I picture that. And that's what I think in my head and I think to the wind, is that all you've got? Like bring it on, come harder, come at me. And that just really takes that stress out of my body and it just make, lightens my mood and, you know, just helps me push through that, that particular point in time. So that's a very random one <laughs> that I use. <laughs> but um, that's a good one because I yeah. think we all have images like this in our head or situations from movies, from series, from whatever, or just comical situations we've been through in life. And we, we can really link to that and apply it in that moment. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other main ones is when it's really hot because traditionally, you know, if anyone's ever seen any pictures or anything of me, I have red hair, pasty skin. I should not do well in heat. Like I <laughs> genetically, I am probably designed to stay indoors <laughs> basically. But I remember my old coach when I was training for Epic Five in Hawaii, I kept saying, you know, I kept using the same excuse over and over again. It was a hot day. My training didn't go very well. You know, like I suffered in the heat and he pulled me up one day and he said, you're going to have to figure out how to deal with this because Hawaii is going to be hot. And I went, ah, oh, okay, right. Stop using that as an excuse. You actually need to be able to figure out how to deal with this. And I actually developed quite a few mental strategies on how to manage heat. And I find amazingly it works. And whenever anybody asks about, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, manage in heat, especially on social media, if like someone puts up a Facebook post, all of the comments will be like about, you know, cooling techniques and, you know, like physically this, physically that, physically this. And I always say mental strategies. That's what works mm -hmm. for me. And people don't ever think about that. So what I do is I never say out loud that it's hot. And, you know, some people laugh at me when I say that. But And I, if anybody says, oh, you know, it's really hot, you know, I'm really struggling where I are, I have an inbuilt automatic response that I now say back to them and say, oh, it's not that bad. Because for me, mm -hmm. in my mind, if I say something out loud, it becomes mm -hmm. truth. So if I don't outwardly admit it, I can say as much as I want inside my head and I can like have the biggest tantrum that I want. But as long as none of that comes out of my mouth, then, you know, I know that I am not admitting it out loud, I'm not admitting it to myself. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I word my crew up and I just say, don't say that to me. And, you know, they're all really, really good and they, they never do. I also um, practice gratitude with, with the sun. Like if the sun's like absolutely belting down on me, I can I feel that it, it's incredibly intense. I just think to myself, I'm like, thank you. You know, thank you for providing me energy. Thank you for, you know, like continuing on, you know, pushing me through, giving me the energy. And almost like imagining I've got like a solar power pack on my back that, you know, it's then, <laughs> you know, giving me all this extra energy to, you know, to continue on. So it's, it takes a bit of creativity in my brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all these things work. And, you know, that's that's what I found. It, it really works. And, you know, I can get through an event when, you know, it's 90-something degrees Fahrenheit or, you know, in the, in the 40s in, through Death Valley. And at one point I really was suffering and it was really, really hot and it was really dry, but I didn't stop. I managed, you know, continued on 
got to the RV where I was supposed to do and then, you know, stopped. So, yeah, it's, it definitely mm. works. That's great strategies. Thank you for that. Sure. Yeah. And I love what you said about I don't say it out loud because I know people who really believe in it. And sometimes I apply this, the same thing. And I've experienced I've experienced it on the like trying to manifest something or making something real in my life. I apply I or I apply the opposite strategy of saying it out loud and telling people. And that's something that I've came to realize really helps me to implement something. So for example, before I was starting that podcast, so there came the point I started talking about it and telling people about it and that kind of made it real. So I, I definitely see that link about just, just thinking about something or saying it out loud or maybe even writing it out. That's also kind of speaking it out loud just in mm. a different way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know when I want to do a race and I'm committed to it, I start talking about it as well. So mm. it's the same, you know, you're holding yourself accountable by telling other people that this will happen. And then, yeah, like then you're putting it out to the universe and, you know, making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, what shines through is really this, you know, this positive and, and fun perspective. And that's what I love about you so much. You're so down to earth and you, you basically perceive your races as well, clearly not every stage feels like that, but overall it's like a fun event for you to go into this, to be able to do that. And I think this is so amazing because we often make life so hard by looking at things and thinking, oh, is, is this really good? Or this is, this is like a really big hurdle to get over. But looking at it from a different angle, looking at it in a more positive way makes it so much easier. So um What have you learned from ultra distance running or what could people also apply, um, you know, th thinking more positively, but also going into positive problem solving? Because you said in a race, it's all about, it's constantly all about problem solving and things will turn around eventually. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I can't remember who said it, but I heard someone say, you know, no, no feeling lasts forever. And I feel like that is really, really true, especially in ultra racing, because you can have these really low points or these really high points, but you know that it's not going to be a sustained feeling for a long period of time. So one thing, again, about, you know, energy conservation is if I'm having a low point, I don't try and force my mood to improve. I just sit with it and problem solve. So, you know, the first thing that I always go to if my mood drops is have I eaten enough? You know, are my calories low? You know, do I need to eat something? So I'll try that. I do um, body scans. So, you know, like top to toe, how am I feeling? You know, how's my head? You know, if it's you know, not feeling that great, okay. So, you know, is anything else tight? Does anything else need to relax? You know, like all the way down to my feet. Is anything aching that shouldn't be? You know, is anything I need to adjust or, 
you know, how, however I'm feeling at that point in time. Because I remember on the bike at one stage during Uberman that I did all of that and I was like, I'm still really angry. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on. And then I started seeing spots in front of my eyes and I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I need to sleep. <laughs> and that was you know, <laughs> when, I, when I came to that. And so, you know, I next time I saw my crew and I said, can you please find somewhere to pull over on the side of the road because I need to stop and have a sleep for a couple of hours because I'm, I'm not coping at the moment. And I know that I have a really good poker face when it comes to racing. So people can't read my emotions very easily. So I know I have to be really, really good with my communication to tell them this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I need from you at this point in time. And that's something I think people find incredibly hard is to have that level of communication about this is what I need. And that's something that I've definitely learnt over, you know, years of, of ultra racing is that if you don't speak up and if you just expect other people to try and figure it out for you, then you're just going to put yourself in a world of trouble. Whereas they want to help you but they just sometimes need guidance on what to do and how to do it as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not always this, you know, happy, cheery person, especially when I'm racing. Sometimes I can be a bit short. Sometimes, you know, I'd be like, no, just do this. <laughs> but, you know, I, I always I always think back and I'm just like, you know, these people, are like I'm not being paid to do this. They're not being paid to do this. Like, you know, this is all something that we are doing because we love this sport because, you know, we want to be here. So let's try and make this experience as, as fun as we can and, you know, as, as enjoyable as we can. So, yeah, I think, you know, definitely learning that communication is, is so, mm. so important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel that too. And it's a, it's a great example and I'm sure anyone listening like can can relate to that and it's you know it's so applicable for all in life you have to communicate clearly don't assume that others know what you feel there's mm -hmm. a chance that they don't and yeah I love that if if you people out there listening just take this as a as a takeaway as a little crumb from this podcast I think <laughs> that's a lot you know mm -hmm. communicating more clearly but then also what you said about the body scan about feeling into yourself like where does this feeling come from which part of my body is it related to and then making a you know a conclusion for yourself about it as you said oh I was seeing spots in front of my eyes and then you know, about feeling into yourself and from your own experience, okay, this means I'm tired. Mm. So that's really cool to see because then you can act from a, from a place that's really informed in a way and, and conscious and you're not just trying something, but it doesn't work. You know where to, where to go to because you know where it comes from. Mm. So did you work or do you work with any techniques about it? Because I know there are meditation techniques that work with body scanning or was it something that came quite naturally for you? 
So I've done meditation for a number of years, um, but I mean, yeah, you're talking about yoga before. My mum's a yoga teacher as well. Oh, cool! So yeah, yeah, she um, she teaches healthy yoga. So cool. like that whole idea of like you know yoga nidra and body scanning, like that's not a new concept to me. Like that's something that's been in my life for a very very long time. So wow, um, I actually never connected the two until you yeah, until you just asked me about that. So that's yeah, it's probably where that's come from. Um, yeah, but also I just I feel like I've always had really good body awareness anyway like when I'm training when I'm racing when I'm you know kind of doing anything like I I'm really in tune with what's going on and you know being being super super cautious about you know what's what's happening and you know if I have some kind of niggle or something then you know like how to get on top of that quite quickly to make sure it doesn't turn into something else that you know could could potentially be a longer term injury as much as possible as well hmm yeah I love that. So um, just a quick question. How are we on time? Do you still have a few yeah. more minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Good, because then I go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so shifting gears a bit here now, um, you said, and that really stuck with me and made me think, you said that a lot of the time in your in your in the races before Uberman, you didn't really feel like you belonged. But then on the night or close to starting of the Uberman race, you said you you really feel like you belong and that you're not an imposter anymore. So can you speak to that a little bit? Is that linked to a sense of purpose that you were finally able to see at the time or is it something different it was it was actually quite interesting it was the night before we started when we had um a dinner with the other athletes and crews and mm. it completely caught me off guard like I've I've always gone to a race and had this feeling about you know that because a lot of it comes back to body image for me because I feel like I don't look like an athlete. I don't look like an endurance athlete. I don't look like somebody who does sports. You know, if I ever talk to someone, they're like, oh, you know, so what are you doing in your spare time? I'm like, oh, I do triathlons and, you know, get into conversation <laughs> and, you know, like they start asking more and more questions and I'll tell them more and more. And I find at one point, like you kind of, you'll see them do a bit of a scan up and down and go, oh, really? You know, like the, <laughs> the eyebrow furrow or, you know, the eyebrow up a little bit, like, really, you do that. And so like that, like it's never ill intent. Well, most of the time, I hope not. Um, but it just really feeds into that insecurity that I have. And when I did Epic Five, I was the only female out of 10 athletes. And so, you know, I was just constantly saying to myself, you belong here, you belong here, it's okay, you know, you, you're okay, like you can get through this. And that was something that was just, you know, this constant mental chatter that I had. And so, it, it, yeah, as I said, like it completely caught me off guard. It was really, a really strange experience, but something that I've really tried to hold on to um, when I, you know, walked into that and I just had this just overwhelming sense of belonging and of just almost felt like I'd done my time, proven myself and that, yes, this is my community now. I'm very much embedded a part of it and no one can say anything different about that. So, yeah, it was it was a... It was a really, really good experience and I've definitely tried to keep that confidence, um, you know, into, into my everyday life as well, just, you know, having more of that owning my space 
um, in the world of, you know, where I am and, and what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's, it's, it definitely, definitely was an interesting experience, but I, I think it was very, very positive. And mm. I, I mean, obviously last year, you know, no racing or anything. <laughs> so it wasn't something that I was really, um, yeah, really kind of put up against again. But then I just a couple of weeks ago did um, three trail runs in three days. I did a 10-kilometre run, a 20-kilometre run, and then a 42. And, you know, at no point did I ever feel that, you know, I didn't belong on the start line there. So that wasn't even something that entered my mind. So I'm kind of really hoping that I can continue to carry that through. So we'll see. Mm. Yeah, that must be an amazing feeling. You know, it's... Mm. As you said, it, it came so unexpected for you, but then it just washed over you and you were like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I could just own it. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's really amazing. So would you say um, that it has something to do with your purpose or that's not really something yeah. that you... So that's something I really kind of think about um, in terms yeah. of you know, just generally my purpose and, you know, things like that. I think it's, I feel like that's separate to kind of, it's more my identity really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm, so good. Um, let's touch on one more thing, which is comparison, because I think you can really also be such a great role model in this area. And it has to do with, with what you said before, you know, not feeling that this was your spot for such a long time. And that often comes from because we compare each other. Uh, we compare ourselves to others. As you said, oh, well, I don't look like an athlete. They all look so, I don't know, muscly or whatever. They are all men. I'm the only woman here. Um, so comparison, it's definitely a thing that I... I believe a lot of us struggle with maybe even more us women. I don't know. I'm not a man, but I feel it's, it's a, it's a thing that really um, is an issue for, for us women. And you said you don't compare. So how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, comparison is such a pet hate of mine. The amount Mm. of people that say to me, oh, I did this, but that's nothing compared to you. And I was like, oh, don't stop. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've really worked hard at this over, you know, a long period of time. And I even get to the point where I don't compare my fitness as well. So I know when I have a break after a big race, you know, I might have like a month or, you know, four weeks. And I think sometimes I have a month where I do absolutely no exercise whatsoever because I'm just so empty physically and mentally I don't even have a desire to do anything and I don't push myself to do anything until that desire comes back again so I um when I do start training again I've lost a lot of fitness in that period of time and I know that and I don't then go oh I used to be so fit I was able to do this you know a month ago I could have done this you know I was doing this for a while I'm like this is me this is where I'm at now and I will compare myself to where I'm at now. That's mm. it. Like I don't, I don't think, you know, I, I do laugh sometimes. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm winded running for half an hour. Like isn't that ridiculous? But I laugh. <laughs> I don't then go, oh, <laughs> like get really hard and down on myself about it. And so 
I also find when people then, you know, downplay their achievements, that really annoys me. And I, I will 100% every single time I hear someone say that, I say stop, rephrase that and say I did whatever they were talking about. You know, I ran a marathon, I ran a 10K, I ran around the block, like whatever achievement that you've had. And I'm saying, and at the end of that, say, and I am amazing. And people get really like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, no, no, you're going to say this because it's true. <laughs> and like, I, I feel like you really need to celebrate your achievements and what you can do because like, I am incredibly privileged in my life to be able to do these incredible events. And I know that, and, you know, I, I take, you know, take nothing for granted in you know the fact I was able to do that but I've set my life up in a way to be able to do these events and I know that not everybody in their life at whatever stage they're at are able to do this or even want to do these things so for me I say to people you set your limits you know whatever boundaries whatever things that you have you know if you can push yourself outside of your comfort zone and try and extend yourself a bit further amazing I will 100% support that but celebrate your achievements and just don't compare to other people because it's only just going to make you feel worse and you're not then going to have that sense of pride that you should have for doing what you've just done. Mm. Off my sofa. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You're such a great life and motivational coach. You know, Thanks. talking talking to you for for the for the past hour there are so many life lessons in there and i think it's 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 going to be a really really valuable episode for anyone like people who love sports but also people who don't have anything to do with racing or competition in a sporty way so yeah i love, I love yeah. all of this um so Where can people find you? There's your Instagram yes. I will link to. And yes. do you also have a website or? Um, yeah, I have a blog that I make sure I update every month. Um, I haven't done April yet. So I need to write my race report for my races. I just did. Um, I'm getting around to that. And that is rangamel. It's R-A-N-G-A-M-E-L um, dot wordpress.com. And yeah, so I've kept that going for um, quite a few years now so that's yeah got basically a lot of race reports but if there's no races on then I just write about something that's going on in my brain at that point in time that I feel like I, I want to get out I've also got a athlete page on Facebook um, Melissa Yuri ultra endurance athlete um, because yeah like my private page it's it's still public but I was just getting a lot of friend requests from people that I didn't necessarily know so I had to develop an athlete page so mm. just kind of made my life a little bit simpler that way as well um yeah and my Instagram is um at Rangamel as well and anybody who's not in Australia <laughs> Ranga is a uh, <laughs> is a nickname for a redhead <laughs> oh okay yeah, see you know that people yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah yeah amazing I will link to all of them in the show notes And is there anything else you'd love to say to the to the listeners? Oh, just, I guess, you know, get in touch if you want 
any support or advice about, you know, endurance racing, triathlons, anything that, you know, you feel like I can be assistance with. I really love to connect to people and just really love to try and support and help as many people as I can. So yeah, and thank you so much for this um, this chat. It's been really, really interesting. I, I love talking about a lot of life things as well as races. So this has been amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. It was it was really super, super fun. I had an awesome time and I think it's it really is this awesome mix of, you know, talking about your races, but also then life in general, basically looking at your lessons from the races and and um, how people can apply those in their own lives. So thank you so much for your time and your good and vibrant energy. And <laughs> you are amazing, Mel. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, guys, how do you feel now having listened to this, huh? <laughs> I'm sure you've all Googled the Uberman race already and secured your spot. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But I do hope that you get some good motivational kick out of this, you know, a good positive impulse for whatever it is that you want to achieve, that you're doing and that you were just lacking the motivation and maybe the mental strength for so i really hope that this episode's episode can serve as a positive nudge in that direction and if you like this episode as always please share it share it on your social media if you're on instagram take a screenshot while you're listening and share it in your stories tag mel tag me that would be awesome send it to friends on whatsapp or whatever your preferred way of communication is and well just thanks again thanks so much for tuning in and i hope to see you next time have a wonderful day bye